Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to stories of discipleship and the exploration of how we can put Scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I serve as Communications Director of the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, a network of about 800 churches throughout Kansas and Nebraska. I'm a certified lay minister in the United Methodist Church with more than 25 years of experience teaching the Bible to people from pre-teens to 90-somethings. I'm passionate about what the Bible has to teach us and about the ways people live out their faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining me. We're wrapping up our series in this episode about lessons from the book of Acts for those of us who follow Christ today. Let's start off with a quick review of what we've learned so far. First, we learned that when Jesus ascended to heaven, he turned the responsibility of making disciples over to us. We learn from Peter that we're supposed to speak openly and boldly about our faith. We learn that it's perfectly okay to be curious and ask questions. We talked about how words are nice, but we really are supposed to show our faith in God with our actions. And we learn that it's not up to us who has a place at the Lord's table, because all are welcome. So that leaves us with one more lesson that I want you to take from the book of Acts. But first, I have a question. Have you ever heard this saying, the right tool for the right job? My dad was a big believer in that. He was very mechanically inclined, and I am most definitely not. My brother got all of those genes. So my father had a tool chest with as many tools in it as you might expect. When he died in October of 2022, I basically inherited his tool chest, mostly because of proximity more so than anything else. And when we got to my garage and started taking inventory, well, here's a bit of what I found. I found two drawers of sockets and socket wrenches for almost any size. Though I have to say, I inexplicably can't find any socket wrench that fits the size I need for my riding lawnmower. But that's side. Wrenches of all sizes. Three drawers full of wrenches of all sizes. We're talking from the teeniest, tiniest wrenches that you can imagine, all the way up to one and a half inches. Those are huge, by the way, because that one and a half inches isn't the length, it's the size of the mouth of the wrench. I mean, we're talking for tractor tires, which is exactly why he had that wrench. There were so many wrenches that my kids each got a set of grandpa's wrenches for their home tool kits because he had duplicates, not two or three. We're talking four, five, and six of each size. He also had various sizes of pliers. He had assorted hammers. He had files. He had clamps, numerous screwdrivers, a couple of hacksaws, and many, many random sizes of screws and nails that had tucked themselves into the corners of each drawer. I don't know how long my dad had that particular tool chest, but the tools themselves were accumulated over a lifetime. Now over the course of his life, besides working for 40 plus years at Hallmark Cards, my dad did all of the following. He farmed. He assembled and repaired farm machinery. He ran a lawn care service. Fun fact, my buddy and I actually started that lawn care service, but my dad saw the opportunity 
And then he took it to a whole new level by purchasing equipment and putting us to work for him. Uh, by at its peak, we were cutting somewhere around 60 acres of grass a week. Finally, as my friend and I graduated from college and the workforce was maybe not what he wanted to see, my dad finally went into sports field construction and design. Basically, he was the laser grader to make sure that the, the water runoff was optimum and the upkeep of the turf was the best it could be. He did work at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City and at Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City, the University of Kansas, Baker University, all kinds of small colleges throughout the region, and a ton of high school fields. And each of those side businesses required certain tools. Some of them required big tractors. Some required more utility tractors or smaller ones. We went from riding lawn mowers to walk behind mowers. And then, of course, there was the laser surveying equipment for his final business. So Dad always made sure that he had the right tool for the job. That being said, sometimes he would have to improvise. Something would come up and he would need a tool that he didn't have yet. And so he would use a tool that he did have in such a way that it could accomplish the task for now. And he would use those tools that he had on hand until he could purchase the tool that he really needed to do the job long term. It kind of brings to mind a short scene in the movie Apollo 13, an illustration that I've used a lot, but it's one I keep coming back to because it's so good. That movie is about a kind of a failed mission. It was supposed to be a, a lunar landing mission to the moon, and it turns out that because of an explosion in route, that they had to come around and just basically slingshot around the moon and come home. They didn't land. Mission Control needs the three guys in this crippled spaceship to make a significant course correction at one point. And they need them to pick up some speed so they can get home before they deplete their oxygen. One of the really great actors out there, Ed Harris, he plays the role of the supervisor in Mission Control. And he assembles the engineers in a room with a chalkboard. He explains the problem and they discuss the idea of using the engine on the portion of the lunar module, that's the spacecraft that they were supposed to use to land on the moon. Well, they're going to use that engine to correct the trajectory and to gain speed, something for which it was clearly not designed to do. Some of the engineers in the room argue that the lunar module wasn't made to be used that way and that therefore it can't be trusted. Well, Ed Harris's character then gives one of my favorite lines in the movies. He says, I don't care what the thing was built to do, I care about what it can do. In other words, we have an opportunity to save these men, so let's use the tools we have at our disposal to try to accomplish that goal. And that is, in a way, the final of the lessons that we're exploring in this series about the book of Acts. We're going to hear a story in this episode about the Apostle Paul and how he used a tool at his disposal to teach a very skeptical group of people about the hope and love of Jesus Christ. But before we get into the scripture, I think you need a little background. Paul and his traveling companion, Silas, are in Thessalonica in northern Greece. This is during Paul's second missionary journey, and it was their custom as they traveled to first go into the synagogue. And the reason for that is because newcomers to a synagogue often were invited to read and to exhort. It gave Paul a chance to read a passage and then explain how Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. Scripture tells us that many Greeks, including some prominent women, were converted because of this process and this practice that Paul and his traveling companions exercised. 
And you better believe that that angered the Jewish leadership there. So they rounded up a group of thugs. That's what the Common English Bible calls it, and started a riot. The goal was to find and either imprison or maybe even kill Paul. At night, a group of followers of Paul snuck him out, and Silas as well, out of the town, and they traveled west to another city called Berea. Again, they went to the synagogue, and again, many were converted, this time embraced by the Jewish leadership there and many of the Greeks. But word about all these conversions? Well, they make it back to the Jewish leadership in Thessalonica. So what did they do? Well, they round up those same thugs and they send them down to Berea to take care of Paul. Well, Paul gets word of that and his followers do as well. And so they send him to Athens. They do that while Silas and Timothy kind of stay behind and try to calm the issue a little bit. Paul travels to Athens and he recognizes right away that it is an amazingly beautiful ancient city. But as he walks around among the beauty of the architecture and the culture, he's upset to see that there are so, so many idols on display. He interacts with Jews and with Greeks in the marketplace to learn more. And he finds out that Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, well, they thought he was proclaiming a foreign god, so they took him into custody and they marched him to Mars Hill. Now this location, Mars Hill, it was almost 400 feet above the land below and it served as the meeting place for Greece's highest court for civil, criminal, and religious topics. And once in that court, the so-called judges ask Paul what all this that he's teaching is about. Now, not because they necessarily wanted to stop him, they were genuinely curious. Matter of fact, they embraced all kinds of learning. They wanted to learn new things. And Scripture kind of tells us that they were, they gravitated, I guess is the way to put it, towards things that they hadn't heard before. They were a truly curious lot. And that's where we'll pick up our scripture for this episode. Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 34. Paul stood up in the middle of the council on Mars Hill and said, People of Athens, I see that you are very religious in every way. As I was walking through town and carefully observing your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. What you worship as unknown, I now proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples made with human hands. Nor is God served by human hands as though he needed something, since he is the one who gives life, breath, and everything else. From one person God created every human nation to live on the whole earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands. God made the nations so that they would seek him, perhaps even reach out to him and find him. In fact, God isn't far away from any of us. In God we live, move, and exist. As some of your own poets said, we are his offspring. Therefore, as God's offspring, we have no need to imagine that the divine being is like a gold, silver, or stone image made by human skill and thought. God overlooks ignorance of these things in times past, but now directs everyone everywhere to change their hearts and lives. This is because God has set a day when he intends to judge the world justly by a man he has appointed. God has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. 
When they heard about the resurrection from the dead, some began to ridicule Paul. However, others said, we'll hear from you about this again. After that, Paul left the council. Some people joined him and came to believe, including Dionysius, a member of the council on Mars Hill, a woman named Damaris, and several others. It's an empty platform, folks, an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. And Paul uses this platform, this empty platform, to make a point that will capture the attention of his audience. He explains that this is actually for the God above all others. This God created the earth and everything in it. Now, it sounds kind of basic for those of us who have followed Christ for a long time and who have worshiped God, but it's a powerful message to people who worship the items in nature. Paul helps many of them see that our God is the God of creation. In other words, Paul does an amazing job of tying his audience's beliefs together. He even quotes one of their poems, We Are His Offspring. In other words, Paul ties it to his audience's culture. And he compares God to fine jewels and metals, meaning God is far more valuable than any of these earthly treasures. In other words, Paul ties faith into their sense of economy and value. And as he grasps their attention, he goes on to tell them about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how they also can be raised from the dead. It's that last tidbit, that last piece where he loses some of them. In fact, some ridicule him. But then others who are intrigued, they say, well, we'll hear more about this from you. In other words, tell us more. Paul uses this altar to an unknown God as an illustration to share the truth about Jesus Christ with people who had not heard about him before. And he did so by playing to their current beliefs, to their culture, and to their economy and sense of value. And friends, I'm here to tell you that we do this all the time when we're trying to convince somebody of something. We try to find common ground to start a conversation. We adhere to cultural norms as we start to persuade or debate someone. And then we try to figure out how we can grab their attention or at least pique their interest. It could be about a movie or an activity for date night or figuring out which restaurant we want to go to. It can work for talking about our faith with others as well. And we're lucky because we rarely have to start at zero like Paul had to do with the people in Athens. And we've all been given all that we need to lead others to Christ. Now true, not everyone can preach and teach, though I think many more of you can do that than you give yourself credit for. But we all can treat people with kindness. We all can practice generosity. We all can push for justice and act with mercy. And while we may not know book, chapter, and verse, we know stories from the Bible that mean a lot to us, and we can tell those stories to others. And most importantly, and I've said this many times for those of you who have listened, just tell your story. What does Jesus mean to you? Why do you choose to worship God, and why is your church important to you? Tell your story, because you can't mess that up, no matter how hard you try. It is you. You're going to get the details just right. You're going to share the emotion. Just tell your story. The one thing that sometimes is overlooked in this passage is a little lesson about discouragement. In other words, don't get discouraged if you tell somebody about Jesus or if you invite someone to church and they flat turn you down. 
Just keep asking and telling. Because we learn in this passage that, you know what, not even Paul went over everyone. The passage tells us that some people mocked him, but others said they would hear more about what he had to say. I think the lesson here is to focus on those folks, the curious, the open, the seekers of this world. That wraps up this series about lessons from the book of Acts for those of us living in the 21st century. And as you think about this final lesson from Acts, I ask that you just please remember that Paul needed a way to connect with a group of people who were strangers to him. He needed the right tool for the job. He needed to find a tool that would work. And he used an empty altar to talk about an empty tomb. I pray that we'll capitalize on opportunities, however, wherever, and whenever they present themselves to us. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you like what you've heard in this episode, please go rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps others find us. And if you're so inclined, please share the link to this podcast on your social media channels. Our music and sound effects come via subscriptions to Universal Production Music and to Storyblocks. You can find archived episodes on the conference website at www.greatplainsumc.org podcasts or on my website, toddseifert.com. Please email me with any questions or comments to tseifert at greatplainsumc.org and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thank you for listening. And until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.